SelectStar Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. Recording. So, welcome everyone to the Select Star podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We have another exciting guest today. We have Lori Barth. Um, you might have heard of her through social media and other mediums online. I'm super excited um, to have you on today, Lori. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This is fun. I love the name Select Star. <laughs> Thanks. Single flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Seriously, yeah. We we launched this podcast. I think in January ish of of this year, and um, it's been. I didn't have any previous, you know, experience with hosting or anything like that. And it's been such a fun way to, sorry, now my dog is growling in the background. It's been <laughs> such a fun way to um, have conversations with, you know, really smart, intelligent, interesting people in the tech and developer community. So um, thanks for joining. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wish no. people could see what's happening behind you because they're very cute puppies. And I think they want to be on the podcast. They just, I know. Them. So I was going to say, for getting started, Lori, maybe it'd be helpful to give, you know, an overview on who you are and your background. Um, I know you're a senior software engineer at Netflix. Um, you're involved on some really cool committees, a conference speaker, things like that. But um, would love to hear, yeah, about, you know, how you got to where you are, what you're working on, things like that. Absolutely. Um, so goodness, I could answer like, 20 minutes on all of those questions, <laughs> but we'll start with who I am and, and we'll see where it goes from there. So I am Lori. Um, I am currently, as you mentioned, a senior software engineer at Netflix. Um, I've been in this industry for a little over a decade now. Um, most of what people, I, I make no assumptions that anyone knows who I am. So like, uh, we'll just caveat with that. But like, if anyone has ever seen me before, it's probably because um, I can't shut up on Twitter. Um, and I make a lot of content. So I've written over a hundred blog posts. Um, I have a couple different courses on Egghead in addition to a lot of standalone instructional videos. Um, I've done a lot of conference speaking though. I'm on a bit of a hiatus now. Um, and occasionally I do things like this and talk on podcasts because I'm a, I'm a chatty human. So that that's probably the best explanation. I, I make content. I sprout off on social media and uh, I, I do my day job, which most people actually don't realize I do. <laughs> <laughs> I know I see, I see people talk about that a lot on, on Twitter and blogging and other platforms of, of like, don't worry, this isn't what I'm primarily getting paid for. I do actually squeeze this in somehow with, you know, what my actual day job is. And it's, I think, I think in this world, in this, you know, tech first world, everyone's gotten pretty good at multitasking in that way of like, okay, I'll take five minutes here, 10 minutes there and check this feed and get involved in that. And um, it's pretty impressive what people can do. <laughs> I mean, there's that old XKCD comic that's like my code is compiling and they're they're playing with swords and their boss is like, okay, cool. Um, that's the modern version of your CI pipeline <laughs> is running. If you haven't figured out like 20 tweets to, to type and reply to during the time that your CI is running, then I think you're slacking off. Personally. <laughs> I'm entirely kidding. I'm, I'm not being serious at all. But um, no, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of like, oh, the test suite is running or like yarn install is running or, um, you know, Maven's building, whatever it is. Right. It's always something. 
<laughs> awesome. And you'll have to explain your background. I know, um, I mean, the background, the visual background I'm seeing right now, I know that the listeners can't see, but I'm seeing a pretty majestic and intricate <laughs> display of, is it all, is it Legos or? It's all Lego. Okay. Um, so um, I've, I've put pictures actually on my website. Um, I have a hidden page that is, that is linked in my bio to all of my Lego sets. I think I'm missing one that I need to upload that's more recent, um, which is the bonsai tree that you can't even see behind me. But I have <laughs> Hogwarts Castle. Oh, I cool. have um, a treehouse. I have the Disney Castle. I have the roller coaster. I have the bonsai tree. I have the Women of NASA set. And there's a big box behind me for Diagon Alley, which I have not yet built. Okay, that's impressive. That's gotta be a good kind of creative outlet. I haven't, you know, I haven't, done Legos in a long time. I do have a couple like adult coloring books and, and other things like that. And it's, it's nice to just kind of, it probably is a really great feeling to like start from nothing and build this really intricate, awesome design. And <laughs> it's super satisfying. Uh, I mean, I'm straight up following instructions. So like maybe not, yeah. um, but I, I actually use Lego a fair amount um, in some of my other content. I weirdly got into TikTok during the course of the pandemic because I'm sorry, it's delightful and it's fun. Um, <laughs> and I know they're stealing all my information. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, there's nothing exciting about me. Uh, but I, I bought some sort of like standalone Lego or I will take pieces from the sets that I have. And I've been doing some like explainers of tech okay. topics using Lego pieces. So the most recent one that people seem to really resonate with was explaining O of N notation with different Lego builds. And like, if you wanted to look through each of these, if you want to look at all of the bricks in a row, and then if the bricks have bricks on top of them, how does that change the algorithm? That sort of thing. Oh, cool. And I've done like explaining the component react component model, um, I've explained sets and arrays and, oh, the first one I ever did that people really liked was, uh, linked lists because I'm sorry, no one understands linked lists. <laughs> that's no, that's really interesting. That's a, it's, it's fun to see the different ways that people explain and teach and create content. I know some people do it through doodling and some people make songs and as you said, TikTok videos. And so it's really fun to see all the different ways that um, people are kind of using their creative outlet to also provide educational content. It's like a win-win. <laughs> I'm amazed by all of the illustrators because I have no, I do not have an artistic bone in my body <laughs> from a like drawing perspective. I did as a kid and I just didn't invest in it. And now it's all gone. Like yeah, I can maybe draw a stick figure. It's sort of sad, um, <laughs> but I love watching. I mean, it's, and it's the sketch notes people. And then it's the people who actually like draw explainers, Maggie Ableton or Appleton. Maggie Appleton has like the coolest stuff you've ever seen. I need to get like all of her prints and just make it wallpaper for my, <laughs> my office. It's incredible. <laughs> everyone's everyone's got their their secret skills. <laughs> Can't be good at all of it. <laughs> so so how long have you been at Netflix and and what are you working on there now? If you're yeah if you're allowed to share for the most part. <laughs> um, so I've been there for four whole months. Um, okay, I think nice. almost to the day. Um, and I am working on internal tooling. So um, 
it's sort of like meta layers. It's the project I'm working on and then the work that I'm doing for the project, which at this point is sort of everything. So um, from a tech stack perspective, I'm working with TypeScript, GraphQL. I'm doing some of the Java backend stuff, which has um, a Postgres database backing it for things that actually have persistence layers. Um, I'm doing a lot of uh, like tooling around the front end because I talk about that a lot. That's a thing that I do. So there's some like AST stuff, custom ESLint rules. Um, we've got obviously Jest and Cypress and React testing library. There's a lot of um, really interesting CLI stuff with Inquirer, um, some bash and shell scripts that just need to exist in that sort of an ecosystem. So really, really running the gamut from like databases all the way to um, material UI and uh, you know, CSS libraries. In terms of what we're doing, um, as you can imagine, Netflix is a very large company with a lot of engineers. And we have a lot of engineers in all different areas um, of the company. And that means that like someone's made an authentication solution for node applications, for example. And like, it would be nice to be able to share that uh, across the board. There's like these turnkey solutions, but that's really, that's really hard um, when you have all of these different teams in different places, like you could be building the same thing in different places and not realize it. Um, and so the what I'm working to build with my team um, is sort of like a dashboard slash tool that's going to make the discovery um, and interaction with all of these different systems that are running or libraries that exist, basically like all the different type of software in the company. Um, can you find it and look at like, a dashboard that explains, is it working right now? Who owns it? How can I ask questions? Where's the documentation? Like basically meta um, meta software for all the software at Netflix. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. And um, congrats on, on your sort of semi-new role then with Netflix. That's exciting. You've been there for four months, as you said. But um, yeah, and it's cool to hear when you're talking about all the different things that you're working on and doing, it's, it's cool to hear you kind of lead with databases and some of the other, I think, overarching areas. I think, you know, I mean, my world is databases, obviously being on the team at HarperDB. And so I'm constantly producing content around it and things like that. And I think sometimes um, areas like that maybe seem not so sexy to people that are coming into the developer world and they're not maybe as excited about it. But the more and more I, I talk to people, they say, you know, you you have to learn things like that. You have to understand how your data management works and how the other tools you're working with, um, you know, how they operate, why they were created in order to really understand the job you're doing. And so, um, you know, there's, I'm sure there's parts of your job that are super exciting and cool and fun. And some parts where you're like, well, I just need to figure this out, <laughs> learn how it works and then I can keep moving. <laughs> so going back, I hadn't, I hadn't had to do database stuff for a little while because when I was at Gatsby, that just like wasn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a front end framework. Why do we're not touching databases? That we're, right. we're touching a GraphQL layer, but like that's not really the same thing. That's more of an API contract. So um, I had to go back to databases for the first time in two or three years. Okay. Uh, and I was like, oh my goodness, there's so many things that are, it's like riding a bike, but there are so many pain points that I remember <laughs> that I'm like, oh man, we're back to this now. But also like <laughs> thinking back to grad school and being like first form normal and like all of the, like how far down that path do we want to go? And I think I, I never have a rule of like, in order to work with this, you have to know this. Like, I think people can learn in really different orders and still be effective. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone learns slightly differently. 
But I do think that when you get to the point that you feel comfortable sort of diving into database land, there's a lot of data modeling that will resonate with people who started outside of that ecosystem. So if you started just writing code, all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, okay. So this sort of matches like the TypeScript types I'm looking at, but in a more rudimentary way, or this makes sense for the object-oriented classes that I've done in, in my backend system. And you know, there are things like ORMs and there's a reason that it's it's another layer beneath that. It's not exactly the same as what you're looking at, but some of those concepts of like foreign keys and uh, IDs and as primary keys and uh, uniqueness, mm-hmm. uh, collections of things that are associated with that. Like you see those at a different layer uh, when you when you start looking at databases. And I think that's really cool. But I started my career as a backend engineer. So I started- okay. Um, with SQL and Java. Okay. Then I didn't do that for a whole bunch of years. Now I'm back there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully, as you said, it's a little bit like riding a bike and that's still having that, that base understanding was helpful. I mean, I'm, I think that, I think that in any type of position, but especially in the tech and developer world, you know, you're constantly learning. You're not expected to know everything about everything all at once. And, you know, Things are changing, methods are changing, tools are changing. So it's kind of um, a pretty dynamic role where even if you did have an amazing understanding five years ago, um, it might be different today. And so I think that's probably something really important for people in a position like yourself is to just kind of be flexible, dynamic, and be able to learn on the go while also building on those building blocks from, as you said earlier in your career and education. Yeah, I've I've said this a lot. I was a consultant for a number of years. And the challenge that I had there was I worked on such different things and such Mm -hmm. different tech stacks um, that I would jump from one thing to another. And I didn't really get to apply the patterns from the thing before it because they were just deeply unrelated. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's, what's sort of fun about working in, in a singular area is you can build on top of your previous knowledge. You're always doing that to a certain extent, but like there's a level of consulting that that feels very tenuous and unrelated as you jump from thing to thing to thing. Right. <laughs> that's completely understandable. Um, that's interesting too. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you now being senior software engineer at Netflix, that's probably a pretty sought after position. Um, not only being senior software engineer, but obviously at a really well-known company, um, a tech giant, as you might call it. And so if, you know, if there's people listening that, have a goal like that or just some sort of similar goal of of getting to a senior developer senior software engineer position do you have anything looking back that you think were pivotal points where i'm i'm super glad i made this decision this is why i got here like anything you would have done differently if you could talk to your younger self um i mean i know not everyone has the same goals and every path is winding and and different but um i'm sure there, that you have some insights there into like wow, this is awesome. I'm here today, how I got here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot to talk about there. So the first thing I will mention is senior as a title looks different pretty much everywhere you work. So there are places where senior is the top of the totem pole. Netflix is very flat. So that's the case here. We basically only have senior software engineers and everyone is one. Um, but at other companies, 
like before I, I came to Netflix, I was at Gatsby and there I was a staff level two engineer, which is two levels above being a senior engineer. So like the rules sort of shift depending on what the organizational structure and the career ladder is at your company. So sort of learn that if you're looking to be a senior software engineer and you're early in your career at some companies, that's the next title up from being software engineer one or software engineer two. In other places, you may be, not be looking at that for a decade or more. But in terms of how I got here, I mean, I can sort of explain a couple of pinnacle points, um, sort of inflection points in my career. I don't know that anyone will ever have the same inflection points. I, I doubt they will, but it's an interesting story to sort of explain. So I was a consultant for a number of years, which meant I didn't have, uh, I had a job title, but I did not have a level. Um, I was just a software engineer. So when I started, I was maybe a junior, maybe a mid-level, because by the time I got my first software engineering job, I'd been doing it as part of um, my old job, even if software engineer wasn't my title at that old job. So it's a little bit confusing. And then I became a software engineer at another consulting company. Like, again, I was there for a while at both of those places. And then I jumped and I became um, a staff level two. So it's like, I went from no title to staff too. And it's like, how? Well, a huge reason for that is because one of the things that makes a really tough, so there's two types of like more senior engineers. There's many types, but I'll, I'll sort of specify two types. One is a tool user. So you are an absolute expert in the tool that they're hiring you for. So they're hiring someone who's like done years and years and years of React or years and years and years of Java or whatever, you know, Kubernetes expert, whatever it is. Alternatively, and this is sort of what I was, they're hiring someone who's seen a lot and at a big picture, picture level understands all of the different pieces and can really like move beyond the code and say, okay, this is what the communication needs to be like in order to solve this potential bottleneck. And, you know, we need to think about the docs and here's what the testing strategy might look like and here are potential technologies we could use. So like much bigger picture. That's who I was when I was hired at staff level at Gatsby because I had been a consultant for so long. I had seen so many different projects of so many different sizes. I had ramped up on the, this person has seen some shit metric a lot faster than you normally would if you were doing like one job for two years. I was doing, I was on like 10 different teams for two years, um, sometimes simultaneously, right? So I had seen just a lot of different architectures, what worked, what didn't work. And there are, I, there are cons to that. Don't get me wrong. Like I saw them at a more shallow level and didn't necessarily see the full life cycle compared to what other people saw. I didn't have to do as much maintenance um, and see some of the consequences of my actions, right? So it's not like a, go be a consultant and all of a sudden you'll know everything. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But that was a way in which I had uh, unique experiences. And so when I got that staff level two job, that was part of it. Um, I could sort of speak at a mature engineering level. But the other piece was I was coming into the learning team at the time and I had made a ton, a ton, a ton of public content. Um, I was a speaker. I was an egghead instructor. I was a writer, all of those things. And so I just had this huge public resume of like, I can do exactly what this job is. And at a pretty high level, because I'm known for doing this already. Uh, and now you're just associating the company with my name in some ways. It, I wasn't, my title wasn't DevRel. It was sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of things, but there was a little bit of DevRel in there. So all of that happens, but 
the inflection point for this, and I think the decision that really catapulted my career was uh, Gatsby reorged, and they were looking at moving the learning team, um, or at least the members of the learning team into the marketing part of the organization, um, just for like, for various reasons, right? Um, that happens, honestly, a lot. And I sort of sat back and I said, well, I'm a staff level software engineer, and I would like to continue being a staff level software engineer. And if I can have this title, and I've, I've earned this sort of title compared to my other colleagues, maybe I should go just code. Um, maybe it's okay to step back from some of this content stuff. I was, I was a little burnt out on it. I found that it was very hard to do as a full-time job versus just something I enjoy. So I did that. I, I kept my title and I kept my level and I transitioned from being on the learning team to being on the themes team, which was just like, I'm writing code all day. Um, and not everyone can do that, right? Not all companies are going to be supportive of that. I'm grateful that all of the managers and the VP of engineering and all those people were very on board with that. And they had a lot of faith that I could do, that I could perform at that level in a very different role than what I was originally hired for. Um, and so all of a sudden I, I had a staff level two IC job and that opens a lot of doors. And, and But that was an inflection point, choosing to come back from the content creation side of the house where I was still doing plenty of engineering. Don't get me wrong. Like DevRel is engineering plus not engineering minus just to be clear. Um, but, uh, but to come back to sort of more of a pure engineering role and having that other stuff be an add on that I did occasionally opened a lot of doors down the road and was definitely an inflection point. Um, and, and doing consultants consultancy work for that long uh, was the other inflection point. I think those are the two big things. Yeah, th no, thanks for sharing. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot to unwrap in there and a lot of interesting points that you make. Um, you know, one thing first, as you said, that there's kind of two buckets of specializing in, in one or two things or having that general overarching understanding. I think that's um, probably really helpful for a lot of people to hear because I see I see folks asking about that a lot in different er different communities about, you know, I'm super stressed, like which languages should I start with? Which tools and frameworks should I focus on? Um, do I need to be an expert in all of these? And so that's kind of, that's a great, a, a really good angle to take of either choose one or two max and try to become an expert in it or just have a general understanding of how these things work. You know, as you said, the overarching gets your hands dirty in different projects. And so it's kind of, as people say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's like, well, it's okay to put your eggs in one basket as long as you really become the expert in that area so that that can be like your unique selling point to a company is like, oh, hey, you specifically need to hire a Node.js engineer. Well, that's what I have 10 years of experience specifically in. So um, that probably relieves some stress of, of people because I think there's so much to learn and so many different options that people don't know where to start. And maybe, you know, now with a lot of people jumping around in careers and different things, they might have a really mixed background and experience, but that could be helpful towards that more diverse overarching kind of background that you discussed. Absolutely. I, I think that's certainly the case if that's your background. I will say if you are learning like for the first time, pick one language, stick with it, figure out how to build a bunch of things with it. And then you can learn other languages a lot faster because you'll have all of the patterns of like, this is, I'll need a loop here. So how do I write a loop in Python when I've only ever learned how to write a loop in Go, for example? Right. Um, 
But if you have, if you worked in a bunch of different places already and you've done a lot of different things, that is a strength. It's not a weakness. And if you've worked on the same thing for years and years and years, that is a strength, not a weakness, right? It's just right. finding a role in which that type of background is really going to serve you well. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point to make is, is don't, don't stretch your tel- yourself too thin too early on because you'll probably burn out. Pick one thing to start with and and it's okay to take baby steps. It doesn't have to be huge the list strides. Languages I've done at this point would probably scare some people. It's, <laughs> it's long. It's Python, PHP, Java, JavaScript, TypeScript, if you count that secondary, uh, Rust, um, Nime, which is like visual sort of low code-esque. Uh, I mean, obviously there's some bash in there just because of tooling systems. I don't know that people would count that as a language. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's also Node, which again is JavaScript, but there's like a whole bunch of libraries associated with that, which is not to mention all the frameworks. I've done Vue, AngularJS, like the Angular one, none of the stuff after that. Uh, React, Gatsby, done some Next, done some 11T. Wow. Uh, pyramid, <laughs> which is a Python front end. Right. Um, yeah, the list gets really long. Like <laughs> consultancy is no joke. Yeah. <laughs> do you have among that that massive list? Do you have favorites or, or certain ones you prefer to work with, certain ones that you dread working with, or is it kind of as you said, once you have a good understanding of a couple, it's kind of all the same? <laughs> it's definitely not all the same. Um, <laughs> if I say the things I don't like, I think I'll make people mad at me. Uh, more. I, PHP and I have a bad relationship and it's not PHP's fault. It's the fault of the fact that I didn't know PHP and I had to make something work. And you will always hate a language that you're trying to use without sufficient understanding of it. Right. Because you're like fighting it because you don't know how to work with it because you don't know how it's designed. And, and right. Things. Um, in terms of languages I love, I mean, everyone knows I love JavaScript. I'm involved with TC39 and I, I feel pretty passionate about all the new features that we add to the language and discussions about those things. Um, I'm also really a big fan of Rust. I think it's cool. I've never done a C-based language. And so to me, Rust is sort of an interesting amalgamation of some of the memory um, C, like the memory concerns and type safety that C gets you with some of the ease of reading and uh, data structure concepts of JavaScript. Um, and it's got a lot of this like similarities to the JavaScript ecosystem. If you think of NPM and package.json and you've got crates um, and and that sort of thing. So there's lots of similarities there and I've been teaching it to myself. I've never used it in an actual real world scenario, but it's fun. It's Mm -hmm. hard, but it's fun. (laughs) Challenging can be fun. As you said, as long as you at least understand what you're working with and what you're doing and not fighting it, I think um, it, can yeah. be, it can be really self-rewarding. <laughs> I've been taking, I think Rust is the first time ever I haven't had to learn something for work. So um, I'm doing a lot of like syntax level learning and moving up from there, which is a, is a new experience for me. And it's been fun. Uh, I'm used to having to like look at, basically start with an end state and be like, oh, that's what that syntax does but I'm right. doing, going the other way around this time because no one's asking me to write it I just <laughs> well that's good I mean I think that's a sign that you picked the right career and that you're in the, you're oh, in yeah, the right dork. I, if there was ever any doubt that I picked the right career it's that I actually enjoy looking at the spec for JavaScript like that's a little <laughs> disturbing that's <I'm> unique 
<laughs> well, yeah, I was going to ask a little bit about, you know, your community involvement. You mentioned TC39 and um, some other areas that in content creation, as you said, that I think you used to be a little more involved in. Um, it seems like not that it's a requirement, but that it's heavily um, encouraged in this day and age for anyone in the tech developer community, but probably any role to have to be involved in some way or another with some sort of extracurricular or whatever you might want to call it outside of your regular day job um, of like blogging or being on a committee or or something like that, if if not for the educational purposes, but also networking. Um, I mean, would you agree with that? It sounds like it sounds like it's helped your career a little bit and probably a fun outlet. Um, at the same time, there's so many different things to get involved with. It's probably challenging to know which one is a fit. And so I'm curious to learn a bit about that and kind of like how you got involved with the TC39 committee, for example. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll take the first part um, first, which is it has absolutely helped my career. I would never deny that. I think we see there is a small subset, Scott Hanselman talks about this. There's a small subset of basically public developers. Um, and then there's the 90% of the rest of software engineers in the world who have never interacted with any of us in the public atmosphere and like go to work, do their job and are perfectly happy. Um, I used to be one of them. I didn't have tech Twitter. I had never spoken at a conference until like 2017. And that was about seven years into my career. So I used to be one of those people. I had no idea this whole world exists. So it's very easy for me to understand the huge percentage of our developer population that like is in the shadows, so to speak. So you can be incredibly successful in your career and be one of those people. Um, and, and there's no requirement that you get involved with the community or write blog posts or whatever. There are two ways in which I think it shows up that people say are kind of necessary. So one is... If you are just getting started right now, it is really, really hard unless you know people personally to break in. And that is because you're going for the companies you've heard of. If you can find local companies that no one's ever heard of and have them take a chance on you, you never have to do any of this. But if you're trying to get, you know, I don't know, a Shopify or something like that to take a chance on you, you need to have more than all of the other people who have a whole lot. Um, so that's, that's where the community involvement comes in. I think the other piece of the puzzle is if you are a public developer, whether you're on Twitter, you're making content or whatever it is, there's sort of an assumption that that's not for your own personal gain exclusively because just by nature of being in the public, you're helping your own brand and you're helping your job chances. And so that's cool if that's your only reason for doing it. But for most of us, that's not the case. That's a consequence of what we wanted to do. Like, I like to teach. I, I like to educate. I don't like to do it as a full-time job, but I like to do it because I think there are a lot of ways in which we haven't paid a lot of attention to how we are teaching topics and we make them seem a lot harder than they need to be. I'm also particularly adept at writing. I have a liberal arts background. I have a political science degree. Like I had to do a lot of writing and there aren't a lot of people who had to do a lot of writing and also are, you know, senior software engineers. There are some, don't get me wrong. Like there's a lot of them that you see on Twitter, but those are those people, right? Those are the people who are trying to fill the gap um, of, of where communication about technology is really, really hard. And I've improved so much in the probably three years that I've been writing um, about tech and I will improve 
infinitely in, in the next 10 years. So I don't want people to feel that pressure. I think there is that pressure if you're in a specific, you know, subset of a community, or if you want to, if, if you want to, you know, be West boss when you grow up or Sarah Drasner, when you grow up, yeah, there, you're going to need to do those things. But if you, if you don't want to do that, you just want to have a successful software career. I think that's okay. Um, how I got involved with something like TC39 is exclusively Twitter. I, uh, respond, someone said like, what, what is your ridiculous goal that you won't speak out loud? And I couldn't come up with anything. And I was like, I don't really know. And I was like, being involved with TC39. I was like, I think I'd like to be involved in TC39. And I got a DM from someone who's involved in TC39. And they said, hey, you want to join this committee? Oh, cool. I was like, uh, okay. And then I was there. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, and, and, and that's the thing. That was a consequence of that person knowing who I was, that person seeing that I'd written a lot of content on new syntax right. in the JavaScript language and being like, this committee does what you already do. You could just become a member. And right. help them with it and be associated with them. And then that's what happened. So um, it all builds on itself. I wrote a post probably a couple years ago now, pre-2020. So yeah, a couple years ago now um, about, I think it was like my 2019 year in, a, in review. And 2019 was a huge, huge year for me. It was the year I started at Gatsby. It was the year I gave my first international keynote. It was the year um, that I started appearing on podcasts that I joined TC39, like all of these things. 2019 was a huge, huge year for my career. And I wrote all of that down. And I sort of said like, this led to this, led to this, led to this. So people could see some of the, what looks like a black box. It looks like someone just pops up and has, lots of success overnight. It's like a, it's like a, um, actress, right? You see them in all of these hit back to back to back to back movies. And they're like, oh, they just showed up one day. And it's like, no, they've actually had their equity card and been acting since they were 12. Um, you just didn't know their name. So it, there's sort of a similar aspect here. And I'm not saying I'm like Jennifer Lawrence or anything like that. Don't get me wrong, but all of a sudden they're like, oh, she got asked to be on, you know, that really cool podcast that I listened to. It seems like she's everywhere now. And I was like, well, I, yeah, it, it sort of all snowballs eventually because um, you get to know a lot of different people. You, you do a lot of different work and, and people really do take notice. Like there are, um, there are people in the content creation community that I have seen really grow over the past year or so. Um, and if I had an opportunity either that I couldn't take or that I'd heard of that I thought they'd be good for, I would absolutely send them a message and I don't even know them that well, but I'm like, mm, I've seen what you've been doing. Like you should, you should go do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, well, first I was going to say, I, I love that you are talking about the other side of it because so many people now are saying, you know, this is a requirement. You have to be on Twitter. You have to have a community. And, and I, I'm, you know, I'm all about that because it's been really helpful for, for my career and, um, you know, for my company and just general educational and it's, it's fun connecting with people and that's how you and I met and things like that. But, um, I like that you're bringing up the fact that a mass majority of people specifically in software development and programming and coding don't want to do that. And that's okay. And maybe they're, you know, still reading things on stack overflow and Reddit, but just not part of these conversations are not in the public eye. And, um, I like, you know, I just like the reminder of that's okay. And don't feel stressed about it. If that's not something you want to do. And if you're happy with where you are and, and you're with an awesome company and you don't have like a major need to be 
networking or or putting um, your work out for the public, then then don't stress it. I think that if if you are going to do it, there's of course lots of benefits, but you know, don't half-ass it and just create an account and just like, and just post stuff because you feel like you have to, because people will be able to tell too. So um, it's a really interesting point. Yeah. (laughs) And it's true. You see some of the same people over and over and and they're awesome and they're smart and they're good at what they do. And you can understand why certain people don't want to do that. And, um, you know, I think that's just probably a, a helpful helpful little reminder because there might be people out there that are stressed and that are introverts or that just don't have the time to do it. Um, and just don't want to be on social media. It doesn't matter what the, what the reason is. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there can be ton of tons of benefits, but it's also okay to keep it old school and just keep your head down and do your job and then do whatever you want to do when your work day is over. Absolutely. No question. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and yeah, I, I think, that's really cool the way that you got on, you know, a committee like TC39 and probably have gotten involved in other ways. It's like, don't be afraid to just put out there in the universe what your goals are and what you want to get involved in. And no matter how big or intimidating something, some organization or some person or something might seem, you know, I've learned and a lot of people I've talked to have said is just try, just reach out and just put it out there and and, and DM someone or, or email someone. The worst that happens is they don't respond. So <laughs> yeah, I would say that. I would also say like, if you really know that you want to do something, position yourself to do it. So mm-hmm. I didn't really know that I wanted to do TC39 Educators Committee. I didn't even know that it existed. But mm-hmm. just by chance, I'd been doing stuff I really enjoyed that was the same as the stuff that they do. Right. Um, I was making a lot. Of, I didn't know that I wanted to be an egghead instructor. And I really enjoyed doing that. I got a DM from, from Joel Hooks, who runs Egghead, saying, hey, like, you've been making a ton of great content. We'd love to have you work in this medium. Like, so you don't need permission to do what you like doing. And it's actually probably worth doing some of it on your own and putting it out into the world. Um, if you, if you have a particular trajectory, because then when you ask, when you're like, Hey, I'm interested in doing this, they can, they can see a track record. They can be like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, you, you're, you're good at this. Like, we'd love to have you on board. Versus I think sometimes people take the you should just ask as like, they should be bold and take chances, which is not wrong. But if you have nothing to back up the fact that you have either a skill in this or right. um, a track record of it, like someone gets a random message saying, I don't know, I'll come up, I want to be the keynote speaker. Like, yeah, you're not going to say yes. You're not going to say <laughs> yeah. yes unless you have some way of showing that you've spoken before and you've done a good job at it. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, there's risk. Everyone's dealing with their own risk. And if they, there's sort of another two categories here. They either know you and they trust you as a person without necessarily seeing you possess this specific skill, but they have faith that you can use it or they don't know you, but they see that you have this skill. So it's gotta be one or the other. It can't, it, it can be neither, but that's the exception rather than the rule. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, don't, um, you can take that risk and, and put yourself out there, but if you have nothing to back it, then you should kind of expect, exactly. <laughs> you should kind of expect what you're going to get back. You got to put a little work in up front, whether that's just putting together your personal website to get all your materials in one place, or, um, you know, starting from, from kind of ground zero and getting some really small speaker jobs or something. Everyone has to, has to start somewhere. So, 
And um, I'm sure someone could call me out on plenty of opportunities that I've gotten where they're like, you had no proof of whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that's true. I'm, I'm sure that's true. Like, um, there's always an exception. There's always, there's always exceptions. Exactly. Like I'm pretty sure the first time I was asked to be on a podcast, no one had any proof that I could sound eloquent for more than five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you have to prove yourself somewhere. You, <laughs> you got to get those first couple ones under your belt. Exactly. And and that being said, like when I'm saying you have to have a track record, there are things that it's easier to have a track record with. Right. Um, there are other things where it's like, well, I can't show that I can do this until you give me an opportunity to do this. And right. <laughs> I, I understand that there's nuance there. So I'm just saying in general, if there are things that like you could be doing on your own that would show a track record, do it. If there aren't, always ask. Yeah ask for help. I think, I think the overwhelming majority of, of people, you know, in the tech industry, um, and on Twitter and other places want to be helpful. I mean, there's always a couple of people that maybe don't, but I think overwhelmingly people want to be helpful and point you in the right direction. So it makes sense. Um, one, one thing, one thing really, really quickly. Yeah. (laughs) You said this before, don't be upset if people don't answer. I had a very unrealistic view of what the experience, what the online experience was like of the larger accounts that I tried to interact with in my early days. Like I sent a message to someone, I think who had like a hundred thousand followers and I never heard back and I wasn't demanding about it. Like, but I was sad. I was like, no, like they interact with me sometimes in like threads. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't they respond? I want people to understand (laughs) that Honestly, anyone past like 5,000 followers, but especially past 10,000, especially in the the six figures. Yeah. Their notifications <laughs> don't even work. They're off the wall. <laughs> yeah. like they, they, but they don't even work anymore. Like I yeah. miss responses in threads from people I follow that I am friendly with. They just don't show up in my notifications because yeah. it's syncing across all sorts of different devices and it won't work. There are tons and tons and tons of DMs. There are DMs I get that I mean to respond to and it just doesn't happen, right? Yeah. So- recognize that they're not ignoring you um it it's just there are too many people trying to have a conversation with them and if they don't respond please don't get angry like yeah it's really unfortunate when people send messages just be like why wouldn't you respond i was so nice da, 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 da. And it's like, <laughs> yeah because my time isn't free yeah and there are a lot like at a certain scale you have to learn the default no which is right. unless I'm like super, super excited to do something, I just can't have the time for it. I would love to help everyone who comes into my DMs. I would, right. I can't. And so my choice has been to make content that can serve a larger number of people instead of one-on-one interactions, because it's really the only way that I as a human can scale yeah. um, and, and recognize that everyone sort of has to make that choice for themselves. So that's not to say don't send the message and you're not <laughs> a burden for sending the message. You are not. If you have a request, if you want, always send it. Um, right. But if someone doesn't respond, uh, I can't say don't take it to heart. Like everyone has emotions, but I'm trying to give a little bit perspective of like yeah. what it's like to be the receiver of all those messages. It's really hard. Yeah. No, that I mean that's that's a really good point. And as you said, if you're not specifically getting paid to respond to all of these things, then you you know that time isn't free. And I think. That's a big reason why um, creating content in the public eye and that can go, you know, be beneficial towards a larger group, as you said, is so helpful because if you post something and then people have questions, 
they can comment on the content itself instead of DMing you directly. And then someone else can respond to them and it can start like a more interactive conversation in the public eye so that the next person that has that question can see that someone already asked it. So I think, you know, sometimes it's important too to whatever questions you have to, to ask that somewhere in a public place instead of always just sending it as a DM because I'm sure chances are that other people have asked it before or are going to have the same response. And so um, that's what's so cool about having community and having some of these ways to reach larger, larger audiences at once. It doesn't, um, doesn't have to always be <laughs> a one-on-one conversation, handholding, you know, walking you through something. So <laughs> also don't ever at someone saying, please see my DM. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> That's just a no-no. <laughs> there's a lot of no-nos <laughs> yeah no that's that's a great point um I was what was the next thing I was like, oh one thing I like to ask as I know we're kind of rounding towards the towards the end of our time here um and this has been super interesting um one thing I was going to ask is if you have any any like tools or technologies or anything that you're excited about right now if you have any like productivity hacks or anything coming out over the next year that you that you've got your eye on you know whether it's a framework or an actual system or technology, whatever it may be. I think, um, you know, there's so much going on and so many people have so many different recommendations. It's sometimes hard to keep up with like, what really should I be paying attention to? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I've been working with it a lot at work, but it's nice to see, uh, the changes, improvements, and just general stuff coming out of Apollo provider. Um, especially as it relates to the various code gen pieces that have become very open sourcey so that you know, you have this GraphQL contract and you're making these amazing types that you can just all of a sudden use on your front end. So I think that's a great tool. Um, in terms of the larger ecosystem, I think we're seeing a lot of build time improvements and general build improvements for JavaScript applications. So I've been paying attention to SWC, which is a uh, it's written in Rust, but it's basically a uh, swap in for Babel, which is super cool. I'm a huge Babel fan. Um, it obviously does a lot of really interesting stuff. And SWC doesn't have quite the feature parity with all of the different syntax that Babel has. So it's getting there, but um, that's interesting to see as well. Um, there's some like courses and stuff I'm excited for people to release like Chris Piscardi is working on some cool Rust stuff Josh Cuomo is going to reopen his CSS course after its early early feature stuff um Eve Porcella has been working on some more GraphQL stuff so lots of lots of fun content coming around as well Mm -hmm. yeah I think I think that's a great list um and good good mixture of kind of actual technologies tools to focus on, but also, you know, a good reminder that there's just constantly people churning out really important, really helpful educational courses and, 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 um, blogs and things like that. So, yeah, I think for, for people listening, if there's no matter what it is that you're trying to learn, I think you're almost always going to be able to find the content around it, a community around it. Um, and if not, then that's a really cool gap to maybe create something yourself. And so, <laughs> best blog posts ever um are always or at least the most searched like with the longevity are bugs that i couldn't solve okay and yeah. so i once i figured it out i wrote it myself that's the way you got to do it sometimes <laughs> yep someone's got to do it <laughs> indeed 
<laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, um, Lori, for being on today. This has been a fun and, and interesting chat for myself. And I know for anyone listening. Um, as I said, this podcast has been such a great way to, to get to know super interesting people in the community. And I've been following you on Twitter for a while. And so I'm glad we were, we were able to connect and I'll put, um, I'll put links to your website and your Twitter and things like that in the show notes. So if people want to connect and check out, um, any of your content highly recommend, but, um, yeah, really appreciate your time. And, um, it's been fun chatting and your, your Legos in the background are inspiring me to get, get creative, to go find a, another creative outlet soon, because I think I've gotten lazy with that. And I'm, I'm envious. <laughs> I'm it's, envious. It's pandemic times. I think we're allowed whatever amount of lazy we want, but yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was, this was a great chat. <laughs> no worries. Have a great rest of your day and, and, and have a good weekend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.